preached through Second Thessalonians, and so I, I just got to stay true to the word. I was meeting with a man yesterday who heard in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And I don't believe I'm re- releasing any classes or anything. It's uh, Wednesday before Christmas, so here we are. Um, and I feel a little bit strange, I've got to tell you, teaching on the Antichrist the week of Christmas. <laughs> but that's where we have wound up in this series through Second Thessalonians. And so I, I just got to stay true to the Word. I was meeting with a man yesterday who is uh, ministers to many, many, many different churches. And he walked all through our building and I told him about the growth we've experienced and whatnot. And he said, well, what, what are you doing to grow like that? And I said, very simple. I'm just staying with the Word. And not a lot of people are anymore. I'm staying with the Word. And we're ministering the Word to people. And that's really the dinner bell. That's the dinner bell with the radio ministry. It will be the, minute, the dinner bell with uh, video. People want to hear a Word from God. They don't want to hear a success seminar. They want to hear the Word of God. They want to know what God has to say. Uh, so, tonight... I, I'm going to be teaching on the Antichrist, and I want to just uh, move forward here. We're going to look at, of all things, Christmas week, what is coming prophetically, the apostasy and the apocalypse. Now, this is Second Thessalonians we're going through on Wednesday nights. And last time, we closed with Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. He is all those things for us. We also saw that his full name, Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say that? Now, isn't it interesting when somebody gets mad, they say that? Do you ever hear anybody say, oh, Buddha! Or Mohammed! No, they always take the Lord's name in vain. You know why? Because the devil knows what's in this name. Watch this. It's packed with powerful meaning. Lord is his sovereign name and speaks of his ownership of you and me and the whole universe. Jesus is his saving name. And Christ is his sufficient name. In the name Christ, all of our needs are met. Now, as we're looking at 2 Thessalonians, I want you to keep in mind that between 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, some teachers had arisen in the church uh, at Thessalonica who were advocating a false doctrine. There was nothing new under the sun. False teaching began to infiltrate this church. And their teaching was that the day of the Lord had already come and that the church was already in the great tribulation. That's what they were teaching. Well, of course, that's easy to believe if you're there in the first century and your brethren are being killed, martyred, imprisoned, jailed, uh, you know, treated as the offscouring of the earth and experience all kinds of persecution. It's easy to believe you're in the tribulation, but of course they weren't. But this is what these false teachers were teaching and is what inspired the writing of 2 Thessalonians. Okay? The fact that the church was experiencing such a high level of persecution added weight to their claims. Now, if so, these false teachers, that is, if, if the day of the Lord had already come and they were in the great tribulation. These false teachers were failing to distinguish between tribulation, which Jesus said would be common to all believers in this world. In this world, you will have tribulation. 
All right, that's, the, that's one of the great promises you don't want to claim, but it's there. Which Jesus said would come and be a part of our lives and the great tribulation. Tribulation generally and the great tribulation spoken of in Matthew 24, 21 are two different things. Now the great tribulation will be a special period that we've talked about a lot here in this church, going through revelations and whatnot here on Wednesday nights. But it's going to be a great uh, period of time, not great, but a really horrific, when the Jews and believing Gentiles in particular are going to be persecuted by the Antichrist. The presence of the Antichrist is part and parcel of the Great Tribulation. Read about it in Revelation 7. Now Paul sets the record straight in verses 1 and 2. He's going to distinguish between general tribulation and the great tribulation. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 reads like this. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or be troubled. What a great word. I've learned, just as a little aside here, to get alarmed about very little. Most things that people freak out about are not freak outable. All right? You learn to stay calm. Look at this word, great word. Don't be soon shaken. Don't be troubled. Why? Because the Lord's got it all under control. Now, the word coming that we see right here, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that word coming is the word parousia, parousia, which refers to the time period between the rapture and the final return of Christ. Parousia, the coming of the Lord. It refers to the time when the church will be with the Lord in the air, appearing before the judgment seat of Christ and participating in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isn't that going to be a meal? The marriage supper of the Lamb. While the world is going through great tribulation, the church is going to be in glory, being waited on by divinity at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know about you, but I know where I'd rather be. Not here. All right? The root meaning of the word means to be near. To be near. And it refers to the Lord's physical presence. So when it talks about the Lord coming, it means He is there. He is near. He is there. Physically there when He returns to get His church. And we're with Him. Now, our interest in the use of parousia in this chapter is because it's used in three different contexts in chapter 2. Here they are. It's used for the presence of Christ in the air. He will be there. We will be with Him physically. For the presence of Antichrist, he will be here. Not just a spirit, but a man. Physically. And for the presence of Christ on earth. When he returns, he will physically land on the Mount of Olives in the second coming of Christ. And all the nations of the earth will mourn when they see him. Because they will realize, oh no, it was true. Okay? Now, verse 1 also uses the phrase, by our gathering together unto him. 
our gathering together unto him. This phrase is only used twice in the entire New Testament. Here and in Hebrews 10.25, where we are told not to forsake the assembling or the gathering of ourselves together, and so much more as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. Now people say, well, you know, I just get my church on TV. No, you don't. No, you do not. You do not get your church on TV. You may hear a good message on TV, but fellowship is when you're with other believers in person. The television preacher can't marry you, can't bury you, can't visit you in the hospital and anoint you with oil, can't personally counsel you. It's an image. Now, I'm going to be one of those images. We're going to be one of those images, but we are not going to take the place of the local gathering of, of believers in fellowship. That's free. I just thought I'd toss that out while I had the chance here. You ought to be in church, in a chair, lifting up your hands and worshiping God and adding to the power of the service. Amen. Now, he says, you ought to be gathering together more and more as you see the Lord's return approaching. We're gathered together unto him now, Matthew 18, 20. We shall be gathered together with him then. His presence in our midst is invisible now, but praise God, it'll be visible then. And Paul beseeches the Thessalonian brothers and sisters not to be so easily swayed by wrong teaching. You've got to be real careful what you listen to. That's why I teach the Word here on Wednesday nights. One reason. I want you to know the Bible. The more you know the Bible, the less chance you have of being deceived. And we are in a deceiving culture. I mean, major league, industrial strength, deception. And so you got to know the Word. The Word will keep you from it. The more you know, the better off you are, and the stronger your faith is going to be. So Paul says, don't be soon shaken in mind or be troubled. The word soon can be translated quickly. Here's what had happened. The subversion of the Thessalonians had happened quickly. They were doing great. I mean, just blowing the walls out and reaching people. And then all of a sudden, the devil infiltrated them with false teaching. And it happened fast. The word shaken means to shake or to move to and fro or to be agitated. And that's Satan's plan. Satan's plan is to shake us from the foundations of sound doctrine. Everything else follows from that. If he can take you from sound doctrine, then he can shake the rest of your life. All right? So what are we learning on Wednesday nights? We're learning sound doctrine. We're going to get it so nailed down that we cannot be shaken, we cannot be moved, we cannot be persuaded, we cannot be taken away from the rock of sound doctrine. Now the word troubled means to cry aloud or to wail. And this picture is a person who is scared, frightened, terrified. And again, Satan's plan is not just to shake you from sound doctrine, but to steal away from you your peace and get you in a place of fear. Turn your confidence into insecurity and paralyze you that way. The healthy believer is filled with God's peace. The healthy believer is not shaken unless it's by the Holy Ghost. The healthy believer is rooted and grounded in love and growing up into him in all things and taking on the fullness of the stature of Christ.
That's, that's where God wants believers. Satan wants to shake you, fill you with fear, get you insecure, knock you off, the, you know, the king of the mountain, knock you off the mountain and, and cause you to tumble down and lose your faith and lose your confidence. He's after your faith. All right? Now, Paul pinpoints the source of their deception. Here's how it came to them. Either by spirit, pneuma, the Greek word, spirit, or by word, or by letter. So the deception had hit them three ways. By a spirit, demon spirit, attack. And by word, conversation. And by letter, in writing. They had been hit from three different directions. He said, as if it was from us. As though the day of Christ had already come. Demons had told them it had already come. Conversation told them it had already come. And they had received it from some false teacher in writing. That it had already come. And they were shaken. And they were full of fear. Now John warned the church. Let's remember. Read this with me, would you? Believe not every spirit. Let's try it again. Believe not every spirit but do what read it try the spirits whether they are of god that means test them how do you test a spirit by the word of god it's very simple you test what you're hearing and the fruit of what you're seeing by the word of god it's quick and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit the joints and the marrow and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents and motivations of the heart the word of god will slice through what you're seeing and hearing and being confronted with and will reveal whether or not it's from god john said you better watch out because spirits come to us a lying spirit had deceived spirit-filled christians in thessalonica now if it could happen to them listen to me it can happen to you and to me a lying spirit a deceiving spirit demon spirits are revealed in scripture as entities that seek to teach through false doctrine remember that i said this satan teaches Well, I just thought he walked around trying to get people flat tires or make something go bump in the night. No. Demon spirits are sent with doctrines of demons, according to the Word of God. Paul warned in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that when in the last times some will turn away from what? The true faith. Uh-oh. You got somebody sitting there full of sound doctrine, saved, washed in the blood, spirit-filled, but a deceiving spirit comes to them. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, it's always struck me, Mormons. will say, well, we're Christians just like you. Well, then why are you trying to convert me if we're both Christians? If we're both Christians, then we ought to just be fellowshipping together instead of you trying to talk me into something. Why are you trying to convert me? Do you know that the biggest pool of success for Mormons is the Southern Baptist denomination? You know how they get them? They get them because they don't know their Bible. Now, some do. I'm not slamming the Southern Baptists. I'm just telling you what I know statistically. And I'll bet you, I would wager, if we knew the truth about non-denominational 
charismatic slash Pentecostal full gospel churches, we would also realize that many are taken away from them. How does it happen? They don't know their Bible. So look what he says. He says, they will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from where? Demons. Oh, we need the Bible, folks. We need to be taught. We need to study. We need to pray over it. We need to assimilate it. We need to meditate in it. We need to understand it. They had been told that the day of the Lord had come. It was a doctrine of demons. It's important to understand the difference between the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. Because there is a difference, a big one. The day of Christ refers to the parousia that we were just talking about. The day when the Lord Jesus will come for his church at the time of the rapture. When the rapture takes place, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we are snatched out of here by the power of God. That's the parousia. That's the day of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 Peter calls it the day instead of D-day. The day. 2 Peter 1.19 And he says that Jesus is the day star. As the morning star in the sky heralds the dawn of a new day as you see it rising, so Christ as the day star, the light bearer, heralds the dawn of a brand new day for the church so when he comes he's the day star a new day has arrived for the church never gonna be the same once we're raptured out of here that's the day of christ but the day of the lord or the day of god refers to the time when god will overthrow israel's foes at the end of the tribulation period it will be a time of darkness and judgment. It will not be a time where people are jumping and shouting and saying, glory to God, it's the day of God. It will climax in the setting up of the millennial kingdom and will end a thousand years later with the dissolution of the heavens themselves. The Thessalonians were being told that the day of the Lord had already come, the day of God but Paul clarifies the issue by saying that it had not come and will not come until certain other things have happened. Now listen carefully. For the day of Christ to happen, nothing prophetically needs to take place. It could happen before I'm done tonight. Wouldn't that be great? I would love it. I'm, I'm just quoting a verse and poop. Hey, Jesus. No, I, I wouldn't be saying hey. It'd be hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I would love to go that way. And wouldn't you love to go that way saying amen to hearing the word of God? But it could happen at any time, the day of Christ, but not the day of the Lord. Here's, let's get our understanding on this clear. The day of Christ is imminent. The day of the Lord can come only after numerous other things have prepared the way. The day of Christ is for the church, and for the church's joy. The day of the Lord is for the world. You catch that? The day of Christ is primarily a day of joy, but the day of the Lord is primarily a day of judgment and terror and horror. They will ask mountains to fall on them, to hide them from the face of him who sits on the throne in the day of the Lord. The day of Christ is the church's. The day of the Lord is the world's horror. Everything that Paul is now about to reveal is true for the day of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 2, 
is about the day of the Lord and what needs to happen before that can happen. None of it is true for the day of Christ. He writes in verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, the day of the Lord, the day of God, unless the falling away comes first. What did we just read from Paul? That in the last days, many will depart from the faith. What do you call that? You call it an apostasy. Apostasia, a departing from the truth and going off into, into deception, a falling away. He said that day can't come until there's first a great apostasy in the true church. There are seven different words for deceive in the New Testament. The word that Paul uses in this verse means to deceive wholly or to be thoroughly deluded. It is a total deception. The Thessalonians had almost swallowed Satan's lies, hook, line, and sinker. Thank God they had an apostle Paul to set them straight. First, there must come a falling away. The word here is apostasia. The last day, says Paul, will be marked by a falling away from the truth, a turning away from God, abandonment of the Christian faith and the Judeo-Christian ethic. Don't want Christ anymore. Don't want Messiah anymore. Don't want the blood anymore. Don't want the cross anymore. Don't want His truth anymore. And you go off into some deception that is thorough, consummate. It would appear that we are seeing this prediction unfold right before our eyes. I'm going to step out on a limb and tell you that I believe we have seen the beginning of this right here, right now. We're watching it right now right now whole denominations are throwing the Bible out the window departing from the truth going off in deception the rise of atheism communism secularism situational ethics and political correctness along with the spread of false oriental religions has sent our culture into a moral death spiral I started preaching 40 years ago. I'm going to tell you, it's not the same country as when I started preaching 40 years ago as a teenager. It's not the same country. Pornography and perversion are now championed. I'm seeing things with my own eyes. If you had told me 40 years ago, here's what you're going to see. One day as you preach the word, here's what you're going to see happen in this culture. I would have said, no way. And I would have been wrong. Bible reading and prayer have been banned, while the vilest displays of moral degradation are spotlighted, heralded, applauded, receive accolades. Right is wrong, wrong is right, dark is white, and white is dark, and, and good is bad, and bad is good, and true is false, and false is true. It's upside down, topsy turvy, crazy, baby. I feel like I'm living in the top floor of a lunatic asylum sometimes. I do. I do. It's like you're listening to the inmates talk. The soul-destroying philosophy of evolution is accepted as a matter of course, even though it's never been proven. It's a religion. Hello? It's a religion. You say, no, it's not. It's science. Oh, no, it's not. It's never been proven. You've got to take a leap of faith to believe that. 
Satanism is on the rise. The courts have become corrupted through their toleration of abortion and lifestyles that God calls abhorrent. God calls it that. And tragically, as Paul predicted, many churches have become liberal, cold, and spiritually dead. You can ice skate to the seat. It's so cold. You never hear of God in those churches. You never hear the Word taught in those churches. Christ is not lifted up in these churches. It has become basically a good works, go help poor people, which I believe in doing, and we do it all the time. But it's basically a social gospel, not the real gospel. They've departed from the real faith. Uh, They teach things that God calls abhorrent. They put their blessing on things that God calls perversion. And it is stunning to watch. It is stunning and heartbreaking to watch. And mark it down, our current media have become the tool and the ally of all those subversive forces in our society that favor unbridled permissiveness and godlessness. I'm going to, here I go on another limb, and I'm going to say it, I hope people in the media hear me. The media have disgraced their profession, in my opinion. because they have become champions of the very philosophies and worldviews that are corrupting us. My minor was in journalism. A lot of you don't know. I used to work at radio station KRLD 1080, all news, all day. I was a news reader. They offered me a full-time job with my full-time, a full-time beat because I broke a story for them. I could have gone into that world. I would never have survived it because I can't go with the extreme liberalism and the godlessness that you find. And I'm talking about particularly the national media, to my mind, have sold out. They are no longer news people. They have become propagandists and commentators in virtually every story they produce. On the national level, there really isn't much news anymore. It's not news. There are instead propaganda pieces that are agenda-driven toward the goal of secularizing and de-Christianizing America. And I want to say, if anybody in the media would happen to be listening to me right now, is that what you went to school for? Is that really what you went to school for? Not to give us the news as it's really happening, undiluted, unpolluted, but instead to be agenda-driven? Paul says that the apostasy will climax in the revelation of a person called the man of sin or the son of perdition. Now listen carefully to what he says about this man. Quote, and the man of sin is revealed. That's the second thing that's got to happen. First, an apostasy, a departing from the faith. And are we seeing it? Yes, we are. And then a man, antichrist. Apostasy, antichrist. The son of perdition. The word revealed, revealed, he must be revealed, means to uncover or to unveil. As Jesus Christ was unveiled to be God's true Messiah, the Antichrist will be unveiled in imitation of Christ Jesus. Suddenly he'll be there. Suddenly he'll be revealed. Satan always tries to mimic God. He always has and always will. And his works and his ways. The Antichrist will be what Paul calls the man of sin. Hollywood's glamorized him and 
Uh, he has become a, a, a subject of fascination and intrigue. And you know, we got all these Hollywood movies and all these different books, The Omen, and you know, all these different uh, hits that highlight this individual. And of course, Hollywood wants to make him glitter and sparkle and seem appealing and, and, and all of this. But I promise you, this guy is extremely bad news. The idea is that this terrible human being will be the incarnation of all wickedness as Jesus was the incarnation of all righteousness. He will be the opposite. Sin will be his meat and drink, the very breath of life to him. He will encourage sin. He'll encourage pornography, perversion, drugs, murders, lies, deceptions, gambling, violence. All of those will be grain for his mill. He'll use them, capitalize them on them exploit them think of christ jesus all of his goodness kindness healing love and grace now think of just the opposite and you have the antichrist his personal charisma is going to be huge no wickedness is so insidious as that which is cloaked by a magnetic attractive and forceful personality The Antichrist will undoubtedly possess a vast intellect. He will also, according to Daniel, be a wily politician. Daniel says he all of a sudden appears as what Daniel describes as a little horn, and he gains the kingdom, his rule, his initial power, by way of flattery. He flatters. He flatters his way into power. Suddenly he is there. He is attractive. He is appealing. No doubt when he speaks, you hang on every word. There is a power that is spiritual behind him, but it's not God. It will seem like he solves the problems of the world. Think about it right now. As we sit here tonight, all of the currencies in every country, modern country of the world are in jeopardy. The euro could crash any day. Greece is on fire. The rest of Europe is dangling by a thread. America is in a debt load that you can't even conceive in your mind. One day, the currencies of the world will crash or be just so close to doing it that they will be crying for someone to fix it. He'll fix it. His idea will be a one-world currency where you take a mark on your hand, a mark on your forehead. All transactions are cashless. He will seize the kingdom by flatteries and then he will maintain the kingdom and grow the kingdom by seemingly brilliant, original ideas. He'll take the currencies of the world, give us a one-world currency. There will be a one-world religion and a one-world religious leader following him, pointing to him, his own little John the Baptist called the false prophet pointing to him and saying there's your guy 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 listen to him he's your answer it is a total it is a total re replication of Jesus Christ in an evil way he will be thoroughly bad evil through and through Satan spawned demon inspired the seed of the serpent a man of sin those who stay in prayer and are watchful, as our Lord told us to be, are fully aware that our world is moving rapidly 
to meet him. It's so clear to me as I look out there and stay abreast of the news. It's so clear. The, the currency issue, the apostasy from Christianity, the coming together of people who are crying for a one-world government, one-world system, one-world life, the desire to remove all borders and bring all nations into one. It's all there. It's all happening right in front of our eyes. The setup. The world is riding the wave of a breathtaking moral decline combined with political and economic chaos that begs for, quote, a man, end quote to take charge and deliver us. That man will be the Antichrist. He'll sign a peace treaty with Israel. He will solve the Arab-Israeli conflict temporarily. He'll do it. And they will say, there is no one like him, but then something else happens. Then I'm going to look out in just a moment, but think with me now. What was outrageous sin to one generation is the norm for the next generation. The generation of the Antichrist is coming into focus and will soon be ready to rule the earth. Antichrist is also called the son of perdition. The word perdition means destruction. So he's the son of destruction or the son of ruin. The word is used of all those who reject Christ. The same word, same Greek word is used of all those who reject Christ. It depicts the terrible loss that the unsaved are going to suffer. It suggests that all that they had or might have had is now gone forever. It refers to the destruction of body, soul, and spirit, to an utter and complete ruin that will not be reversed, irreversible. This is the same word that Paul now uses to describe the Antichrist. It depicts his character, who he is to the core. He is a destroyer, a ruiner, who brings irreversible ruin. The Antichrist, in mimicry of Christ Jesus, will also be a resurrected man. Watch this. He will be a resurrected man. The book of Revelation describes him as, quote, listen carefully, he that was, then is not, that is, he died, and that will ascend out of the bottomless pit, he reappears. You read about it in Revelation 17, verse 8. In John's Revelation, the Antichrist has two comings. The devil always mimics God. When he first appears, he'll be an ordinary man, brilliant, persuasive, attractive, powerful, and possessed by Satan. He will be killed in the height of his power. John reveals that he receives a deadly wound that is healed. Sounds to me like a sniper gets him, a bullet gets him, shades of Kennedy, but guess what? What looks like something that was mortal, he died, either he really dies and is raised, or he feigns death and they lie about it and, he, and the world is told that he was raised, one or the other. But he is healed according to Revelations and is brought back to life again. And thus Satan imitates the resurrection of Christ. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians, God will send those who have rejected His Son a strong delusion that they would believe a lie. What's the delusion? This man. When this resurrection takes place, John writes this. Look what the world's going to do. And I can see it happening. And I saw one of his heads 
as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast look at that not only did he solve the money crisis and the Mideast crisis but look at this he also got back from the dead so they worship the dragon that's the devil who gave authority to the beast that's the Antichrist and they did what worshiped the beast I used to think that can't happen in America oh no I now know it can happen in America. This is the great delusion Paul will mention later in the chapter that we're going to look at next time. Next time we're going to look more at this diabolical individual who may very well be alive on earth today. Now, I know this is somber, this is serious, and your face is telling me so. (laughs) And I get it. But folks, isn't it amazing how the Word of God is so accurate? It was accurate about Jesus Christ, about his coming, where he'd be born, the circumstances surrounding his life, his family lineage on his mother's side, and and all the prophecies that were fulfilled. Uh, It was totally accurate. And what we're reading in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is prophecy. The day is going to come when there's no church. We're going to see this next time. And when the church is gone, there's no more restraint to evil. No more people to stand up and say, wait a minute, what are you doing? What are you doing? You can't do that. That's not righteousness. Right now, this, this tape, this, this is going to go out on radio, TV, and, and, and CD in many different ways. People are going to hear it, and it's going to have a restraining influence. Because the Word of God and the Church of God are restrainers. We are salt. That keeps decay from coming. And we are light. That lightens up a dark room. But when the church is gone, the real church the blood-bought church, the walking with Jesus church. There's no more restraint. And that's when Antichrist will step onto the world stage because no one will be there to say, that's the one! I personally believe people that we have witnessed to, people who have been witnessed to all over the world and have rejected Christ will have a terrible awakening and they will say you know all those people where'd they go i know what i'm being told by the state-controlled media but where'd they go my aunt my dad my children my friends who i knew where'd they go were they taken away were they are they playing a game is this a hoax and then it'll dawn on them no They were taken by him. Remember what they told you? And they will become tribulation saints. And they'll have to decide to be martyred or take the mark. So what are we doing now? We're going to have the strongest year we've ever had. And we're going to preach the gospel all over the world. The real gospel. Repent. Turn to Christ. Let his blood cover your sins. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Turn to him. Your answer is the cross. Your healing is in the cross. Your identity is in the cross. Your deliverance is in the cross. Your wisdom is in the cross. Your direction is in the cross. Your life is in the cross. It's the blood of Jesus shed for you. And I believe there's going to be a huge Latter-day harvest while much of the church is apostatizing. Amen. So let's stand together, can we? In light of these things, 
Let's focus more than ever before on sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to as many as we can, by all the means that we can, as fast as we can. Are you with me in that? Now, how many of you are glad that you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Give Him a hand of praise tonight. <clears throat> Give Him a hand of praise tonight. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we're asking you humbly that by the grace of God, you will put a great net in our hands. We're, we're born of the Spirit, Lord, by the grace of God through faith. And now, Lord, we see a world growing darker. We see the prophecies clearly set before us. We know that it's not going to get better here. It's going to get much worse. But we know the true church is going to get brighter and brighter until the perfect day. Keep us from deception. Keep us from false teaching. Shield us from the doctrines of demons. Help us to stay true to the faith once delivered to the saints. Lord, give us a great big net and help us to launch out into the deep and bring in a huge harvest of souls. And Lord, we're asking you that 2012 will be the greatest year of harvest and impact and influence for Jesus Christ we've ever had. If you can amen that, just lift your hands and say, Lord, let me be a part. 